morning, church. I'm happy to be here and back. Those of you, a couple of you don't know me, I'm Tim, and um, I am a um, friend, of, friend of all of y'all and pastor at, on the Native Colony here in Reno, Native American Church, Colony Christian Fellowship, and, uh, you know, um, Dick asked me to, the, Dick and Mark asked me to speak today, and, um, you know, I didn't really know what was going on, and, and Dick was the one who really, you know, this last couple of weeks let me know everything that was going on, and, and so I'd just like to sp spend a little bit in a special prayer for you, Mark, if that's okay, brother, and, um, Let's embarrass him a little bit and uh, just pray, um, just a special prayer for our dear brother and just for this process. I know it's a long, you know, you got a long path uh, in front of you, but um, God's with you every way. And just a little bit that you've shared with me about just those testimony bits of don't know where the healings were coming. People, the doctors didn't know where healings were coming from. You survived things that should have killed you. I'm just blown away by the hand of God in your life right now. So if you will all join me, church. Heavenly Father, God, we just pray for our, our dear brother here, dear leader of this church, dear Elder Mark. God, we just pray for his body right now with what he's going through, the trial he's facing right now. God, we thank you. We've seen your hand. We've seen the testimony of what you can do already in his life, in this process. God, we know these bodies may be withering away, but our spirit is being renewed day by day. And in these broken bodies, we experience the brokenness of this world. And it reminds us of how much we need you and your grace. And so, God, I thank you for Mark. Lord God, I just pray for his healing on this journey, that you would continue to protect him, continue to heal um, what's going on inside. Lord God, that you would you would bring healing and touch him with your special grace. And Lord God, we pray that you would continue to give him the strength and energy he needs, the food he needs, the water he needs to keep moving, to keep being um, strong to, for each next step of this process and this journey. Uh, God, we pray for Jenny. We thank you so much for her. We pray for her strength, that you would continue to give her what she needs to be a support to her husband. And God, we just commit this family to your hands, as I know all of us already have so many times. But we just pray a special prayer this morning for our dear brother and our dear sister. And God, we just pray that you would, oh Lord, you would just, we know you're working in amazing ways. And so God, we ask you keep doing that. You keep doing that great grace in his life. And God, we thank you for him, and uh, we pray for this church as as he leads, and Dick leads, and Martin leads, and and God, we just pray for, oh Lord, your hand to be here, and to continue to do your work in and through Mark, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray, and we praise you. Amen. Amen. All right, this morning I'm happy to be here to, to speak a little bit, and um, I've been preaching through the book of Matthew, and so my message this morning comes from Matthew chapter 18, um, and we'll be in chapter 18, verses 21 on through the end. And so if you'll turn there with me this morning. And, uh, you know, this morning I'm just thinking about, I know it's the beginning of the year, and 
We're moving into the new year, 2024. Thank God 2023 is behind us. And thank God 2022 through 2020 is behind us. And, and we move into the new year. And every time we move into the new year, we, you know, we have a mindset of new things we want to do, new priorities. Uh, we have a refreshed um, mind moving forward. And so the passage I'm going to be preaching on today is actually in the context of Jesus's special teaching to Christians, to his disciples at the time, who were looking, beginning to look forward. He was, he was just about to enter into Jerusalem, just about to enter into his walk to the cross. And in this context, he, he now is teaching his disciples specifically an idea of who they are to be under the new covenant of his grace. Under everything he's been teaching them, he's calling them to be something new. So that's the context we're looking. Matthew 18, verse 3 describes the context Jesus himself says as he brings a child forward he says truly I say to you unless you turn and become like children you will never enter the kingdom of heaven so the context of the passage we're looking at today is Jesus is teaching his disciples that you are to be children of God you are to be like children children of God live a different way, approach sin a different way, approach your life a different way, have a different attitude as a child is supposed to have um, under his father's household, under the king's kingdom. And so we see this is the context of Jesus' teaching to his disciples. And what we're going to look at today is Jesus, in verse 21 to, to the end, teaches a core Value, if not the core value that a child of God is to have in this world. A core value that that child of God is to have, that we as children of God are to have. At the beginning of every new year, many of us, as I said, start to think about what our priorities are for the year. I'm sure many of us have done that this year. Some of us have faced unexpected things that change our priorities. We think about what we want to accomplish. We think about what we want to get better at doing or goals we set for ourselves and things we want to do, plans we need to have. And as we begin thinking about the new year and that kind of thing, we begin to think about what we value the most in our lives. We determine our priorities for the year based on what we value most. Like, I, this last year I've really come to understand what it's like to be a father. And I've, one of the values I have, what I value most, is my daughter. And so this next year, as far as planning my life, much of it is shaped around things we want to do for our daughter. Putting, saving money for her, making sure she's got planned time, making sure we are getting her signing up for preschool 20 years in advance. You know, we're doing these things and our life is being, right, we start to make our, priori our priorities based on what we value. And many of you have those things you value in your life and you really realize what you value by what you're making your priorities for. Today we're going to look at this passage where Jesus teaches his disciples a core value that they have as new children of 
as these new children of God, they're to have a, a core value of which to determine the priorities off of, of which to plan their life, of which of how to think and how to function. Jesus teaches a core value, in fact, the core value to his children, to the children of God in this passage. And I think it's a core value we are to have this year and make a priority in our life this year and it's the core value we're to have every day and make a priority in our life every day to base our decisions based on what Jesus teaches us here today. So we'll begin Matthew chapter 18 verse 21 um, is where we start today. Remember Jesus has just finished teaching in this specific section. Jesus has just taught about how to deal what we call with church discipline and with what they understood as how to how to confront, address, and restore a brother in sin or a brother that sinned against you and how to do it in a healthy way. And Jesus and Jesus in this section we see his encounter with Peter. So verse 21. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. So Jesus, as I said in the context, is teaching his disciples how to be a new people, children of God, how to live as children of God. And he has been very clear with this idea of forgiveness, of restoring someone who sinned against you back into fellowship with you and the others. And Peter comes and says, well, I know you're teaching us something, a different way to think, so how often should I forgive him? How many times? Once? Okay, I can, I can see that. I can restore a brother once. Twice? All right. Three times? Four times? Peter even went to seven times, which actually, in understanding of a Jewish thought was a above and beyond statement seven times and Jesus says to him I don't say seven times but 77 times which is Jesus saying no not your legal understanding of a complete for forgiveness of someone no I'm saying more times than you can count. And Jesus isn't saying here we're supposed to have a list of, all right, I got, I got Alex on my list right here, and she's at 75 today. So I can forgive her two more times, and then, then it's done. I have a right. No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying 77 times, meaning to the point where it seems ridiculous to even keep track to completely a complete forgiveness. We see this in Luke 17, same moment in history. Luke 17, verse 3, Jesus declares this, Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive. So Jesus is value. He is teaching to his disciples is forgiveness. Peter questions Jesus and says, how many times? And Jesus' response is, always. 
And I think this is such a key value for us to have. When I was thinking about what I wanted to share today, it was thinking of, okay, this, this new year and, and our hearts for it and our priorities and thinking, well, what, what is one of, if not the most important priorities God wants us to have? And it's Jesus' words here. To live in such a way that we forgive one another completely. Seems like an easy statement, doesn't it? Seems like, oh, I can't do that. But when we come face to face with a moment where it is our responsibility to forgive someone who's deeply offended or hurt us, then it's not so easy. Especially if it's the same person who's hurt you ten times before. Then it's really not so easy. So we see the heart of Jesus here, and we'll continue because we can say that statement, and Jesus can just say that statement and move on, and we have to say, yes, Lord Jesus, I will follow that. But Jesus doesn't just leave us there. He gives us a parable to help us understand why we are to have that kind of forgiveness, why that should be a value of how we determine our actions within our priorities as we relate to other people. Jesus tells us why. Continues in Matthew 18, verse 23. He gives a parable to Peter and to the disciples of why this is the case. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. Now listen, we're going to read the whole parable, so listen as we go and try to put this story in your head and understand what Jesus is teaching here. So therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And, he, and since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold. And the talents is an understanding of reference. Think of it as this is an, in, an, an incomparable amount. It is a, an amount that he will never, ever be able to pay. Think of a talent as a day's work. He will never, ever be able to pay this amount. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children, all that he had, and payment to be made. So he's going to take the payment from the man himself. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. Continue on. Remember, that's a full debt that's paid that he really probably wouldn't be able to pay for many, 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 many years of his life. Then we come to Matthew, continue on, verse 28. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Think of a denarii as a year's worth <laughs> as of pay. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. And he refused. The servant says, he, the servant refused. I might have got the uh, numbers wrong, but basically think of them as giant amounts they both owed. The servant refused, and he, and he went and put that man who owed him in prison, saying he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. They went and reported to their master all that had taken place. And the master summoned him, the first servant, and said, You wicked servant, I forgave you of all the debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant 
as I had mercy on you. And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. So here we have a heavy parable. I call it one of the heavy parables. But Jesus uses the parable, this story, to help us understand and really help Peter, that stubborn man, who I, I feel like I'm so much like, understand why we forgive one another. As God's children, we're to have this value of what I call unlimited forgiveness because the Lord God has shown us that kind of forgiveness. We are to have a value of unlimited forgiveness to all those around us because that is the kind of forgiveness the Lord has shown to us. You see, our debt was so great. Colossians 2.13, you were dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh. Our debt was so great. We were dead, lost, forgotten in such a in such a debt towards our God that we our souls were dead. And Yet, here's the grace of God. Even while you were dead in your trespasses, in your sins, in your separation from God, God made you alive together with Him, having forgiven us our trespasses. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with His legal demands, He set this aside, nailing it to the cross. I think one of the struggles we have in reaching new people with the gospel is many people, if not the majority of people, do not understand the depth of our sin. They don't understand the depth of their sin. And even us as, as well, I, I hope many of us as Christians, that, that is what separates us, what moved us to God was understanding the depth of our sin. But many people don't understand the depth of sin and what it actually means. See, we've sinned against an infinite God, the one who set the rules, the one who, who is the judge and the law. We sinned against him. We have done what, I, what is known as, we have committed unending sin against an unending God. So the punishment for the crime, the help, this is how I've understood what it means to have this, we have an infinite guilt of sin, is the punishment for a crime is based different on who our crime is against. We know that in the legal system. It's justice, you know. If I steal from a local store, I might get a fine. I might be banned from the store. If you steal from the IRS, the government, you're going away for a while. And sometimes, especially if it's the IRS, they might lose the key. You commit your crime thinking in that understanding. Our sin that we've committed, our, the crime we've committed, is against an eternal creator, an eternal adjudicator, an eternal justice of God. In fact, it's against the character of God and his perfect being. Thus, our offense is an eternal one because it never ends. It's an offense that happens to someone that's outside of time. So the offense is outside of time. It is an e infinite offense against an infinite God. Not only that, we continue to offend. 
we continue to sin. One thing we forget is we don't stop sinning in hell. There is still an anger towards God, a continual rebellion, a continual sin against God that is a part of our nature, an infinite sin that will last on forever. And it's against the eternal one, so it is an eternally guilty sin. This is the depth of our sin. The depth of our sin. If we look in our own life, I look at my own life, I, we might think sometimes, well, my sin's not as bad as that guy. <laughs> Especially that guy. But your sin is, even a minor one, is an infinitely of offensive towards the perfect being, Yahweh. And so that's why we can stand and say all sins make you just as guilty. Because none of, all of them are infinite. So it's, our depth of our sin is so great. And I know in my own life, I, when we think of this, our sin, it's just, we understand the weight of it, of how we have just come against our beloved creator. And that's what makes God's grace so much more beautiful. As our depth of our sin is so great, and yet our eternal God has canceled that record, has canceled that offense that stood against us. He has canceled our sin for eternity. Your your guilt may have been eternal, but the canceled debt of it, the, the, the forgiveness of that sin is an eternal forgiveness. That, and when I am speaking eternal, I mean past, present, and future. I'm talking past too. That sin no longer offends God in the eternal past, present, and future of His existence. He has covered your sin. He has wiped it out. He has washed it white as snow. As far as the east is from the west, He has forgotten it. The Bible says God, the Lord, forgets your sin. He has forgiven it in such a way that he, he doesn't even hold it against you. He doesn't even, when He looks at you, He doesn't see your sin. He doesn't see your failures. He doesn't see where you've stumbled, where you've done wrong. He doesn't even see the worst of your worst. When He looks at you, He sees His Son's blood that has washed you white as snow. He sees the person of Christ that has covered you. We are in Christ. Amen? And that's such an important statement. You're in Christ, meaning when the Father looks at you, He sees His Son, and He sees the works of Christ, and He sees the ultimate work of Christ on the cross, and He sees the life of Christ in the resurrection. He sees that in you. And yes, that doesn't mean you're not there too. He sees you uniquely covered by that grace. Eternally, forever, we have been given such a great gift of forgiveness that the Bible says surpasses all our understanding. Do we understand? I mean, do we understand how much that forgiveness is worth? It's a gift from God. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not your own doing. You did nothing to earn it. There's nothing you could do to earn this gift. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so no one may boast, but for by grace you have been saved through faith. Grace. The forgiveness of God. And it has nothing to do with you. It is the gift of God to you. And it's just, when we really realize that that gift of God 
It really changes how we think about forgiveness in our own life. Because of this great gift of forgiveness, we have been given one directive that is our highest call to one another. And we'll understand this at the end. Is to forgive one another. Ephesians 4.32 Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. That's your call. That's your value that you're supposed to have. That's what I'm supposed to have, is to forgive one another. And we'll understand that this is all coming out of love. To forgive one another because Christ forgave you. When I look at those who've offended me, when I look at those who've, struggled, who've hurt me, when I look at, in my past, those who, if I did not know the Lord, I today would still not wish them well. I think to myself, how much did Christ forgive me? That's nothing compared to this little bit of forgiveness I can give that person. Nothing. So we forgive one another because Christ forgave us. So that's what Jesus is teaching in that parable. In the parable, we see that king who has forgives the debt, a debt this man could not pay. He forgives the debt and says, go and be. And the first thing that servant does is go to someone who owed him money, saying, I don't have to pay any debt. So now that's my money, because otherwise I was going to have to give it to that guy. But now it's my money, so give it to me. And when that man begged for forgiveness of it, he refused and took it from him. We see that what Jesus is teaching, he's teaching the absurdity of that servant. How absurd would it be to be forgiven a debt you could never pay and immediately go and, and throw someone in prison because they couldn't pay a debt? Back to you. That's the same understanding of our God. How absurd is it? That we've been forgiven a debt we could never pay. And we can forgive these little offenses against us that mean nothing in the long scheme of things. It'd be absurd not to. So that's the value God has given us. And what we begin to see with forgiveness is forgiveness is vital to every aspect of our lives as Christians. And that's what I mean by having it as a value as a Christian, as a follower of Christ. We need to understand that it is vital to every aspect of our lives. Colossians 3, 12 through 13. And you'll notice that Colossians deals a lot, deals heavily with this heart of forgiveness. Verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. As God's children, as his chosen ones, as this clearly describes a child of God, we are to be examples of his grace in our daily lives. We're to strive to be people of forgiveness. That is a definition of forgiveness. Verse, verse 12, having compassionate heart, being kind and humble, and meek and showing patience and bearing with one another, we are to forgive with that kind of heart. This is how we're to have forgiveness in our life. And by putting on that kind of compassionate heart, 
that vital, which is so vitally important to our life as Christians, we begin to see something special. I, I think it's this, this idea of we begin to see the powerful healing power of God in your life. I'm not talking about our wounds. We see that as we pray, as we call on the Lord to heal us. I'm talking about a, a healing that we need. I think when God forgave you, we sing the song and we know the verse, by his wounds we are healed. Your soul's been healed. Your relationship with God's been healed. The forgiveness God gave you healed that brokenness between you and him, and now you can have a relationship with your father, and he can have a relationship with his child, and there's a healing that happens. Well, in that same way, that forgiveness, that powerful healing nature of God begins to be expressed in our life when we have that kind of forgiveness that God has offered us. Our friendships, our family relationships, as you forgive one another, you'll see that healing in your marriages. You'll see that healing in your friendships. How about your neighbors? <laughs> the guy that, that yells at you every time your dog's on your, off his leash. You have that forgiveness towards them. Our kids, our loved ones, and even, and this is a hard one, and even one another in a church. <laughs> To have that forgiving heart, we'll see healing in those relationships in a powerful way, just as we've, our relationship with the Lord has been healed. So that's, that shows what that kind of forgiveness has in our life. It has that forgiving power. It has that, it is a vital aspect we are to have as we build one another up. We are to bear with one another and forgive one another because that's the call God has placed on us. Because that is the ultimate thing he did for us. He forgave you. And so you're to forgive others. I'm going to close with one last passage. I'm talking about forgiveness. And I said, you know, it is the most important value we are to have as Christians. There's a reason why. Because forgiveness... is the powerful expression of love in action. So forgiveness is actually love in action. Forgiveness is love in action. 1 Peter 4, 8. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. You see, love in action forgives. We know God saved us, not because of anything we did, but because of what? Because he loved you, because he loved us. That's the only reason we have. He saved us because he loved us. He forgave us because he loved us. In fact, we know the love of God because of his forgiveness of us. And so in that understanding, forgiveness is love in action. This verse, 1 Peter 4, 8, really really dug into my soul in my premarital counseling here in that room with Alan Battle. And this was the verse that became mine and my wife's life verse when we really began to understand and as Alan led us, understand what this 
really means for a marriage. In my marriage, I show, I should actually let me put it this way, in my marriage, I feel the love of my wife the most when she forgives. And I can show the, my love for her the most when I forgive. Because love covers sins. When you love someone, you forgive them. When you love someone, you, as Jesus said, if they're coming to you and they're repenting, and yes, there's the whole, we have to understand the whole counseling aspect of continuing, you know, someone who is not repentant, that's another story, we still forgive such a person out of love. Sure, you protect yourself from such a person if they continue to hurt you. My, hopefully this message comes across not as let anyone hurt you and just forgive them. No, of course we need to be wise. But the call, the most important call in our life as Christians is to love. And forgiveness is love in action. It is the value we are supposed to have. In my marriage, I would not be standing here today as a married man with a beautiful daughter and a new daughter on the way if we were not continuously putting forgiveness first because we mess up especially me and we I need that forgiveness from my wife one of the things we learned in marriage counseling is that covenant of marriage is I can come to you with whatever and I know you won't leave me you've made that promise to me and yes, I will, do, I will do everything I can to love you well, but I know I can come to you with whatever and you're not going to leave me. And you can come to me with whatever, whatever you've done, and I'm not going to leave you. That is this idea of forgiveness. And that's the love we're supposed to have for, yes, of course, our wife and our husband, but in a, in a different way, in, in a less romantic, more expressive way, that forgiveness we're supposed to have is for everyone especially those of the household of God. So as God's children, we are to express the love of God in this way. This is the value we're supposed to have as Christians. And so that's my encouragement to, to you and to myself and just from hearing the words of Jesus this year. As you go about our days, as we think about what we want to make our priority every day, my encouragement is the words of Jesus is, Make forgiveness one of those priorities. Make that on your mind. And honestly, what we see is, I'm taken aback. I wish I could play the video. That would have that would have been a good idea. But I'm taken aback by a, a story I heard recently, and I'll close with this. Um, there was a man who, who murdered, and they have a video on you know of the court case. There's a man who murdered multiple people, and uh, he's standing there, and they're doing victim testimonies and each person comes up one after another saying you know you've hurt me you've hurt my life I'll never be the same I hope you know they throw away the key all that stuff and then a man comes up and I believe it was his daughter who was killed by this man in some kind of killing spree and he comes up and he says you know I want you to know something you've made it really hard for me to do what my God has called me to do. But I'm going to tell you today, I forgive you. And 
the man, the killer just broke down crying. He's sitting there, straight face. Like I said, the video would do better justice. But he's sitting there, straight face, listening to everyone, and then this man forgives them, and he breaks down crying. And you could see that that forgiveness was the f almost like the first time he had ever felt love. And it's from the father of someone he had killed. That's the kind of, that's who we're supposed to be as children of God. People should know, know us by our love and forgiveness towards them. Amen? And towards one another. So as God's children, let's be people of that kind of love in this world. A love that resembles the Father's great love for us. A love of forgiveness. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you so much for your word today. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your continued hand in our life, your continued, your continued hand as we go through trials, as we go about our years, as we go about planning about goals we want to achieve, battles we have to face. God, help us to have this value, to remember the love you have for us, first and foremost. To remember the love you have for us. Help us to remember that love because we need your help in those times of hardship, in those times where we're hurt, in those times where someone has come against us, in those times where we remember the, the scars we have. We need you to remind us of your love for us, of how you've forgiven us in a way we can't even comprehend. You have forgiven us. God, let that help us to forgive others. And yes, to, to see healing in those relationships, but also to heal ourselves. Because those scars run deep in us. And as we forgive others, we feel that healing that comes from you on our own soul, on our own heart. So God, I pray you would help us to be people of forgiveness, to have that value as we make our priorities for our day every day to be a person that remembers the love our God had for us and to treat others with that same kind of forgiving love. God, we praise you. We thank you for that. Thank you for this church. Pray a continual blessing, special blessing, special anointing of the Spirit upon this church, upon everyone in it. God, that you would move strongly within these walls, within the hearts of those who you call your church here, Lord Jesus, and that many would come to hear the gospel preached through through the, the mouth of Mark and preached through those who come and share, and that, God, you would move in a powerful way. I thank you for the love of this church, and I thank you for their continued steadfastness of everyone here, and I sp pray a special blessing on every soul here. So Jesus, in your name, we pray these things, and we thank you. Amen.